0: What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone.
1: Uh, Today we begin a couple of weeks looking at the call of God. I've noticed more and more in the last year that some folks don't believe God has a calling on their life. Others say God has called them to very specific actions, sometimes even things that seem wrong to other people. So we're going to explore this over the next couple of weeks. Does God have a call on your life? Is there something you are supposed to do as a Christian who listens to God, or do we just do what we want and hope for the best? Our first stop on this journey is at a a verse of scripture that many people will be familiar with, but not perhaps the whole story. The verse is, For many are called, but few are chosen. Hopefully, digging into this little phrase will give some insight into the question of what it means to be called by God. We are going to hear our scripture from Stephanie. She recorded this at her home, and it's from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord.
0: Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned the city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main street and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen.
1: And from 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election, for if you do this, you will never stumble. Let's pray. Lord, may we be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Open our hearts to your calling on our lives today. Uh, Weddings can be a really delightful special time in a person's life and not just for the couple getting married Many mothers are happy their children have found someone special to share their lives with And many of the dads, no matter how how tough they are, shed a tear of joy during the ceremony Perhaps a tear is because they are glad to finally get them out of the house But a tear nonetheless The tradition of paying for your daughter's wedding is worth it And not just because they are somebody else's problem now. It really is a special time like no other. People put time and energy into making it festive because it marks the end of one stage and the beginning of the next. It is one of the important markers of adulthood as children become responsible for their own lives and are now responsible to one another. All kinds of rules and customs are connected to weddings, some of which may be harder to follow these days than others. When people ask me to preside at a wedding and ask about how you're supposed to do a wedding, I tell them what traditional weddings look like, and then I tell them that the only rule people follow these days is that there are no rules. People want to celebrate in all kinds of different ways these days. So every wedding is unique. Uh, there's one couple that sent out their wedding invitations to a household that had a mother, father, two children, and grandma. They decided to send one invitation to the parents and the children and a second invitation just for grandma. Uh, well, there was, must have been some kind of a mix-up in the mail because grandma didn't know she was invited and she was angry about it. She went on Facebook and told the couple how stuck up and smug they were. Yikes! She even went as far as to have her granddaughter text a sibling of one of the couple, a part of the couple to be married if you're going to invite my grandma, don't, because she's not going to come. And of course, then the mail got sorted out and she got her invitation. What did she do? Did she stick to her heated declaration of not going even if invited? No, of course not. She wanted to be at the wedding. She wanted to be there. Now she's telling everybody how special she is that she got her very own invitation. It can get even more complicated than that, though. Years ago when Emily and I got married, Emily's mother had recently been remarried. That means we had to think about... uh, adult step-siblings. I remember vividly the day Emily asked me about it, saying, should we invite them to our wedding? And I gave absolutely the wrong advice. I said, Emily, this wedding is about me and you. You should invite the people you want to be there and no one else. I'm sure you can guess how that worked out. Uh, There's more to it, of course, but the stepfather was rightfully upset. The wedding itself had a pall over it because we did things that made them angry. If I could go back and do it again, I wouldn't say, do whatever you want. I would say, talk to the people you love. Get their input and feedback so they know what you are thinking and why you are doing what you are doing. When you are young and in love, though, you are bound to make some mistakes. I'm just glad we learned and grew from those experiences. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, we hear about another wedding, but this one has a far more important point to it. It's not just a wedding that gets a silly reaction out of people or uh, helps people learn a good lesson. Matthew is talking about a wedding that has life or death consequences to it. This actually starts a little further back in the chapter before Jesus has just come into the city of Jerusalem. It's the story we celebrate on Palm Sunday. He is this triumphant, venerated teacher, and the crowds are beside themselves with excitement. They're even beginning to wonder if this is the promised Messiah, the one sent by God that would set the world right. And the religious leaders, they are sure of the answer. No. No. Definitely not. Jesus is not the Messiah. Just look at all the chaos he's stirring up entering Jerusalem. Clearly, God's chosen one would not be this rowdy. Jesus even flips the tables in the temple because they're selling stuff, and Jesus says they're taking advantage of the poor. Right there is enough evidence for the religious leaders to say that this is no Messiah. Then the crowd start calling Jesus... David's son, which sounds pretty benign to us today, but that was actually a declaration of Jesus as King of Israel. Now, these people are in danger of the Roman Empire coming in and crushing them by this act of rebellion. People's lives are put in jeopardy by Jesus accepting their praise. So then, right before today's verse, Jesus tells several stories, and the last one is of a rich farmer who plants a crop and puts some farmhands in charge. When the rich farmer sends some servants to collect his profits from the crops, the farmhands turn on them. They beat them up and even murder one of them. The rich farmer sends more servants, and the same thing happens all over again. Finally, he decides to send his son, and they kill him too, thinking Now the inheritance will be ours. But would you give your inheritance to thieving, murderous employees who are in open rebellion against you? No, of course not. Jesus says the rich farmer would give them a miserable death and give the land to farmhands that will do it right and turn the profits over. And he ends the story like this. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. Who is Jesus saying the kingdom of God is taken away from? He's talking to the religious leaders. The gatekeepers for religious society are put in their place. Now, compare that to today's story about a wedding. A king has a banquet for his son, and the invited guests openly ignore the wedding. In ancient times, weddings were probably an even bigger deal than they are today. A rich person would literally invite everyone in the city and it would last for an entire week. It was likely to be the biggest event, not of the year, but of the whole decade. Nobody wanted to miss out on an important person's wedding. So to ignore the king's wedding for his son, seizing the king's servants and even killing them, That was like declaring open war against the king. It was outright rebellion meant to insult the king by insulting his son. That's why the king decides after taking care of the rebellion to invite even more people. Fine, he thinks, if the people who are supposed to be here won't come, then I'll go and get other people to fill the wedding. It's not the best and brightest citizens of the kingdom, but hey, at least there are people at the feast to to celebrate his son's wedding. Now, there's one small problem. Some of the people that were last-minute invites are, quote-unquote, both good and bad. And the king comes out to not just see the guests. The word from the Greek is theomai, to behold or contemplate. He is taking in the splendor of the gathered crowd to celebrate his son. But then he notices that something is wrong. One person isn't wearing the right clothing for the wedding. Even someone who is poor would know you have to put on your best clothes, or at least your clothes have to be clean. Otherwise, it would be better if you didn't go at all. So this fellow who attends without even having cleaned his clothes is kicked out. The king has already been insulted by the first group. Now he is insulted again, so he sends the man in shackles to outer darkness. It's steep consequences for not being properly prepared for the ceremony. Uh, This past week, I performed a funeral service. Some of you will know the name Verwer. They were triplets who grew up at Hawthorne United Methodist Church, but they and other family members had attended Grace at times. One niece even got married here. One of the triplets, Albert, had worked on the steeple in this church, but sadly, Alan Verwer died last week, and the graveside service was supposed to be on Monday. Well, that didn't happen. We had a huge snowstorm from Sunday to Tuesday that dropped two feet of snow. So the service was moved to Wednesday, but it was still cold and snowy. And I have to admit, I have done dozens and dozens of funerals, but I have never done one in two feet of snow. Uh, I had no idea if it was okay to wear boots with my suit and tie. I must have asked Emily three times, do you think I look okay? Does this look all right? Because I know you are supposed to wear your best dress shoes for a funeral. I finally settled on wearing my new black boots because I thought the only thing worse than wearing the wrong kind of shoes is getting so much snow in your shoes that you are too cold to perform the ceremony. So I go nervous about my footwear, and I have to step out of my car, and I was absolutely relieved to see as I stepped out that the funeral director also had boots on. Phew, I thought I was wearing the right thing. Everything was all right, and the ceremony went off without a hitch. That's a little of what it ought to feel like when you go to a wedding for the king's son. This is important. This is a big deal. You've got to get it right or you're going to embarrass your hosts. Now, when it comes to God, Jesus' point is actually far more important than just having the right shoes or wearing the right clothing. Jesus is making a similar point in both stories. The first was that the kingdom is taken from those who close off the kingdom of God to others and that it is given instead to those who produce the right fruit. Here the point is that the feast and celebration in the kingdom of God is not just for those who accept the invitation. You've also got to live the right way. Some would say you've got to clothe yourself with Christ. The wedding clothes are meant to be an analogy. How is God going to judge us? What is God's criteria to decide whether we are loyal servants or rebellious insurrectionists? You've got to wear the right clothing and be properly prepared for the wedding feast. It shows whether you are with God and for God and his kingdom or if you're against it. And I know everybody shakes their head, yeah, yeah, we're for God. We're for the kingdom. But this story is warning us, look, even those in the church can dishonor God. So the initial calling of god for our lives is actually twofold one calling is to accept the invitation of the king god reaches out to us the holy spirit speaks into our lives god offers grace to us time and time again and each time we have the opportunity to say yes to god or to say no don't be like the rebel say yes to the invitation but there's a second call in our lives and that is to make sure that we are not like those religious leaders or the wedding guest with the wrong garment. When we make it difficult for other people to come to church or we live our lives in a way that people are put off by us church-going folks, we are doing it wrong. That doesn't mean there are no rules and so we let everyone in. It means we Christians are held to the highest standard, to God's standard. The wedding garment, or being clothed with Christ, means we are loving toward others. We are gracious and kind. It means we do everything we can to make others feel welcome. So, I need to confess something here. I don't always get this right. I want to live a life of love and grace, always acting as Jesus would. But sometimes I fall short. This past week, with the snowstorm, one of the families from the church decided to come over and go sledding with my family. It was great. We even got my dog, Pearl, sledding with us. Uh, She loved it, and after an hour or so of this, my boys started tiring out. They decided to head over to the enormous mountains of snow in our driveway made by the snow plows, and quickly it turned into building forts and preparing for a snowball fight. But before they even got to the fight, Davy, my oldest, started shouting at his little brother, get off my fort. And as this continued, I came over to them and Davy started raining huge chunks of snow down on his brother. I told him this wasn't the right way to handle it. You got to talk to your brother. And when Davy wasn't having it, I told Davy he needed to go inside. He needed a break from all of this. But Davey wasn't going to take a break. He was mad, and he wanted to let everyone know it by force. So I decided to pick him up off of the ground. Uh, Now, I know that's only going to work for a few more years, so he's going to get bigger than me soon enough, so I really need to figure out a better strategy. But I picked him up and laid him on the ground and told him in no uncertain terms he needed to go inside. Eventually, I took my other son onto a different pile of snow, and we built a fort somewhere else. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a terrible interaction with my son, but I know I missed the mark. That moment has not sat well with me all week, and I know I can do better. See, one of the things that I am trying to keep front and center in my life is that my children will get a lot of their picture of who God is from me. As their father, as a role model, and maybe especially as a pastor, my kids will either know what it looks like to be clothed with Christ or they won't. Jesus says the kingdom is taken away from those who do not produce the fruit of God and it is given to those who are living the right way. So what does that look like to produce God's fruit after you mess up? Well, just this morning I turned to Davy and said, I'm sorry about that two wrongs don't make a right and I was wrong about that my son said that's all right dad I forgive you and he gave me a big hug and in that moment I knew that I was clothed with Christ this is the fundamental call that is on all our lives live for God and live the right way if you aren't doing that you very well may find yourself dressed all wrong for an important occasion. Not just a wedding or a funeral, but before the God of the universe who asks, did you build my kingdom while you were on earth? When I hear that question, I want to be able to say yes, to know that I did what I could with the gifts and talents I had to be a blessing to my spouse, to my children, and to all those I may have met. One day, May you be able to do the same, to stand before God, clothed with Christ, who makes us righteous as he teaches us how to bear the fruit of the kingdom. Amen? Amen.
0: Grace is for everyone.
1: Find out more at gumc.org.